Amen. Yes, God is great. He's awesome. He's good. I'm glad you all are here this morning. I'm glad those of you have chosen to watch us online. No matter the reason, if you're on traveling, you're not feeling well, or you couldn't make it in this morning, but you chose to join us and be a part of our service online. Thanks for streaming in. And guys, thank you for being here. Tell somebody next to you, I'm glad you're here. Even if that's your spouse, that's okay. Even if it's a friend, tell them, I'm glad you're here. You guys... You and your spouse may have fought and argued all the way here, okay? But now you can say, I'm glad you're here, all right? Hey, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming to Oso Creek Church this morning. I'm Pastor Greg, and uh, I'm excited to get to the Word this morning. And um, if you got a Bible, go to the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, I want to throw another challenge your way before we, we, we start a new series soon. Um, but I want, to, I want to throw another challenge. I challenged everybody last week to stir each other up, be that kind of a, an irritant in people's lives, to stir each other up for love and good works. Um, but while you're turning there, I have a great announcement this morning. I have a, a new onesie, a Creeker onesie. You know what that means, don't you? It means this is the first time somebody has come, this is the first time uh, a little guy has made it to Oso Creek Church this morning, so we want to welcome Silas Mateo, two, two weeks old. So this is uh, Vincent and Jamie Gonzalez. They just adopted Silas. So Vincent, you want to come get his little onesie, little Creeker onesie? If you can't, oh, okay, I don't know if you could or not. Would you hold it? I don't know if he's holding it, but anyway. Yeah, so we just want to welcome to the, the Krieger family, amen? Yeah. This church has a great culture of foster and adopting, and so we celebrate with, with this family this morning, and uh, that just happened, what, last week? Last week, it was official. They had to go back to South Carolina, South, South Carolina for the adoption, but praise the Lord, Amen. That's great. That's great. Also, uh, on the uh, little information welcome hutch in the lobby are a bunch of uh, our daily bread devotionals that uh, Priscilla Abrego ordered, and she wants anybody wants to take one. It's for the next three months. Grab those. Those are free, and I love our daily bread. Okay, so let's get to Second Chronicles this morning. Uh, you know, as I, I don't know since I've been here if I've preached out of Second Chronicles or not. I can't remember, but we're we're going there today. But before we get going in the Word, let me ask a few questions. How many of you like things that are familiar to you? Raise your hand. Yeah, the majority of hands. All right, let's test this theory. How many of you shop pretty much at the same stores every time when you want to go shop? All right, raise your hand. Let's prove it. Okay. How many of you vacation typically at the same place or the same type of place every time? Eh, quite a few of you, all right. Um, how many have um, the same Christmas traditions that you do year in and year out? Uh-huh, all right. How many of you order the, the very similar coffee drink at Starbucks, Stingers, or Coffee Waves? Anybody? All right, okay. How many of you guys come to church and you usually sit in the same seat every single Sunday or close to it, huh? Here's one. How many of you park? You try to park in the same spot in the parking lot, okay? Um, how many of you like this? You, you, you have your favorite set of worship songs or hymns that you listen to, okay? Um, we listen to the same playlist. How many of you listen to the, I mean, you wear your playlist out. I, I could go on and on and on and on, right? We like routine, don't we? Whether we like it or not, we like things that are familiar to us. Like I said, we shop at the same stores, 
listen to the same type of music and playlists. We, we watch our favorite, you know, and familiar shows. We frequent the same places. Man, we, we do these things because we like the things that are, you know, familiar. We like the familiar in our lives. And truth be told, here's why. There is an inherent safety in the familiar. There's kind of a, it's like our safety net. It's like our little safety zone. Uh, the things that are familiar to us, it's kind of like a little safe box that we have, okay? And that's kind of what I want to focus on this morning. So before we read Second Chronicles chapter, out of th- chapter 33, I want to set the context of our scripture. Here's what was going on in Second Chronicles. This was in the, the Jewish Israelites time period. This was a very grim and evil time. It was evil, okay? Grim, dark, and evil. God's people, the Israelites, had been divided into two kingdoms for a long time. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and there was the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the southern kingdom of Judah, Hezekiah was king and there had been a great religious revival. King Hezekiah, he was a good king. He followed the Lord. He reestablished the worship of the Lord in the land. And we say, yay, Hezekiah. He was a a worshiper, worshiper of God. A worshiper? I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Worshiper. He was a worshiper of God. That was good stuff. But how many of you know, things don't last forever, right? And so his kingship didn't last forever. And when he died, his son Manasseh, and that's the Hebrew rendering. That's how, that, that's how you'd say Manasseh. The rest of the day, I'll probably use the American uh, phraseology of Manasseh, Manasseh, all right? His son took the throne. So, so who was this guy? Who was Manasseh? He was a bad dude, okay? I mean, he was really bad. When I mean bad, I'm not talking about the good kind of bad that we friend. No, he was horrible. He was evil. You know, Michael Jackson sang about him. You know, you know, he's bad. He's bad. Shamon. <laughs> Should we take a cup of coffee right there? Can I have a sip of coffee? That was not good. I'm not Michael Jackson. Thank the Lord. All right. He was horrible, gang. He reversed everything godly that his father Hezekiah did. He was evil to the core. Uh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned for 55 years as king of the southern kingdom, okay? Second Chronicles 33 verses 1 through 9 tells of all the horrible things that he did and that he instituted as king. We also see these things in 2 Kings chapter 21 verses 1 through 9, but I will summarize his reign. Under his reign, he polluted the temple of God with pagan altars. Under his reign, he promoted the occult. He even sacrificed his children, plural, to an idol in a valley near Jerusalem, just like the previous, a previous king did. That previous king burned one child. Manasseh burned his sons, plural, to this, this idol, okay? He built what was called the high places. They had been built before. His father tore them down. He rebuilt the high places, and he placed idols all over the land, He instituted, again, idolatry to the people of God. He even set up a carved image, an idol called Asherah, which was a female goddess idol right 
in the temple of God, inside the temple. Menashe, he used fortune tellers, necromancers, he used mediums. He tried to abolish the worship of Jehovah out of the land. Tradition tells us that Isaiah the prophet, anyone ever heard of Isaiah the prophet? Yes, we have, right? We, we read his Old Testament book. Tradition says that Isaiah spoke out against uh, Manasseh and, and, and he had him executed. He had Isaiah executed along with anyone else that spoke out against him. He's been called the Nero of Palestine. This guy was the most worst and evil king ever in the southern kingdom of Judah. No one was as bad as him. But how many of you know God is a gracious God? Amen? We sang about his grace this morning. And God is willing to accept those that come to him. And God accepts us right where we are in our broken sea, in our despondency, even in our wickedness. No matter how bad we've been, when we come to God, he's right there to give us grace and to accept us. Amen? As Paul writes in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And check this out. Manasseh's wickedness was not the end of the story. We're going to read our text and you're going to see the grace and the power of the Lord. So join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, starting with verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. So he's taken away to a foreign land, wasn't treated very kindly at all. Verse 12, and when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Verse 14 shows he, 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 he built an outer wall, okay, and uh, kind of right there at the entrance of the fish gate. You remember the fish gate in our Nehemiah series. Verse 15 says that then he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He got rid of the idolatrous junk. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving, and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Yes! Woo! Verse 17. Nevertheless, that's not a good word right there, okay? The people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So here's great news. Manasseh turned to the Lord believed on the Lord and repented and God loved him, God forgave him and God restored him. Listen gang, here's truth this morning. Our God is in the restoration business. How many of you know that? Yeah? 
God is in the restoration business, praise the Lord. And there's a lesson here. If God can forgive and save a guy like this, this king, Manasseh, then he can forgive and save anyone. Anyone. Just like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who stated in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that he was the chief of sinners. According to his own words, he was the worst, a violent and insolent man, committed murder, okay, but God forgave him. Look, God can reach down and save the despot, the evil, the wicked, the one that's far from him, the one that's in the gutter, the atheist, the agnostic, the adulterer, the porno, the, the those stuck in pornography and stuff, the one that's living maybe in an alternate lifestyle, he can save and forgive the one that's pushing him away, the one that's currently rejecting him. He can save and forgive that one who's doing bad, wicked, and evil things. How's the song go? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now what? Praise God, I see, hallelujah. God saves, God saves. That is good news for all of us. We have done nothing that our great God cannot reach down and save and forgive when we turn to him through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Guys, that's why the, the gospel message of, of what Christ has done for us, that is the literal, that is the hope of the whole world. I believe I've mentioned this, but it bears repeating again. Every other world religion and cult is all about man trying to work up to some utopia or to some God or some higher plane. It's, it's man trying to ascend, man trying to climb, man trying to make his own way by all kinds of things. Oh, Christianity founded on Jesus Christ is the only one is that about, it's about God reaching down to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. We don't have to work. We don't have to try to achieve. We don't have to go through religious or traditional hoops. No, we just say, Lord, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live for you and be your disciple. So, so mom, dad, grandma, grandpa that might be here and you've got sons or daughters or grandchildren that are, that are not walking with God right now. Maybe you personally, you have a family member that's close to you that's not walking with God right now. As someone close to you, maybe there's a close friend or a coworker and they're not walking with God right now and you've been praying for them. Listen, don't you give up praying for them. Don't, don't give up believing that they're gonna come to know the Lord in, in his salvation power because God is waiting for them. Your prayers are making a difference, okay? It may seem like they're, they're taking God to the very limit, you know, we, we would write this king off, wouldn't we? we? We would write this guy off. He's done too much wickedness, too much evil. He, he, he's a horrible God. There's no way that God could forgive him, no way that God would use him. Man, but God had other plans for him that were mighty and powerful. So listen, you keep praying for that person in your life that's not walking with the Lord. You keep believing God isn't finished with them yet, praise the Lord. Look, I'm not up here just blowing smoke, okay? Or just saying what a, that, that's what a preacher should say. You don't know my situation. Listen, I have seen it firsthand, gang. 
I grew up, and in my dad's church, there was a lady. She played the bass guitar for us many, many years, many, many years. Her husband was in the military, and he was deployed often over overseas, and, and he was not following the Lord. He was not living for God. And, and this precious saint, this lady, she would pray and pray and pray and pray and request prayer and request prayer and request prayer all my life. From when I was a little boy till I was a young adult. And we would pray for this man that he would come to know Jesus. I'm talking decades, everybody. Decades. She could have given up years. I mean, she could have given up and said, it's no use. He's never going to come to the Lord. You know what happened? I was, I was a young adult and in college. He finally surrendered his life to Jesus. He finally came to the Lord. Her prayers had been answered, praise the Lord. That's so awesome. I have seen people's children, as they have prayed and prayed, they have come to Jesus. I have my own family members that I've talked about who I prayed for as a young man. They finally surrendered their lives to the Lord and are walking with Jesus. A gentleman at our last church, uh, or in New Mexico, yeah, before the last church, man, he, we, he was prayed for by his wife and his spouse. He started, he had nothing to do with church, but he started coming to our life group, and God got a hold of him. God changed his heart. He began to serve in the music ministry. Yes! That's what God does, amen? He's in the restoration business. So keep praying for them. Keep believing. You know, just as the, 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 the great 80s bands say, I'm not gonna sing it, but just don't stop believing, all right? <laughs> don't stop, I have to. <laughs> believing. Come on, I have to, all right, if you know me. Yes. Don't stop believing and, 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 and keep living your life as a testimony of Christ's work and Christ's grace in front of them and allow God to use you to speak to them at those right times when you feel the Holy Spirit giving you a nudge. Amen? All right. That's, that's good news. Amen? But let's get back to our boy uh, Manasseh. You know, he brought a revival of worshiping the Lord back to Judah. He tore down the idols. He tore down the altars to the... He gave all that wicked stuff the boot. He restored the worship to the Lord on the Lord's altar, okay? And, and God's grace is sufficient and wonderful. But I think in our text this morning, you know, if we fast forward to today... Uh, this real story in our text can illustrate three different types of attitudes of people that we find in church today. Three very specific attitudes that are mirrors of the people uh, uh, during Judah's day and under King Manasseh's reign, okay? Three attitudes that church attenders can have that I want to talk about real quick with you this morning based on our text, this illustrative text here. The first one is found in the first verse of our text. It's verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. So, I mean, this really happened. This, this is a historical count of this king and the people of Judah at the time. But I believe it can illustrate some attitudes that we have. They paid no attention. They, they just didn't care, all right? And sometimes this can sound like the majority of the people in the world but sadly, it can also be the attitude of many that sit in church seats 
or church pews week in and week out. I don't care. They just shrug their shoulders with this dismissive kind of an attitude. They'll come to church, but they don't care. They attend church, but they're not really interested, not really invested. They feel good being there, right? It's the right, good, moral thing to do. Hey, I went to church today, pat me on the back. Maybe there's some pressure from a spouse to be there or pressure from a child to be there. Dad, I want you to come to church. Dad, I want you to, okay, I'll come for you today. Honey, I'll come just for you today. Okay, I'll come. All right, I'll give it a try. But personally inside, they don't care. It's like, take it or leave it. Look, God was speaking to his people and their king in 2 Chronicles 33, but they didn't care. They paid no attention. Look, I wasn't a good state of mind to be during the Old Testament, and it's sure not one to be in today either. And if you're here, you're watching online, and you've got this kind of attitude, well, God, I really don't care about you. I, I don't really care about getting involved in worship or following you. God, I just want to go through the motions, kind of, I want to make somebody happy. I want to do the moral thing, the thing that seems good, but not enough to really follow you. Or I just want to check off a box. You know, not, not enough to give you my heart or my life to change because I just really don't care about that. Look, that's an attitude of apathy. And apathy does not please the Lord. You know why? Because he cared for you. He cared enough about you to send his son on the earth to give his life on the cross, to look death right in the eyes and conquer death, hell, and the grave for us. Christ had the attitude of leaving his throne of glory to come to this earth and give his life for you on the cross. And then there's people that just sit there with the attitude, well, I just don't care for it. Look, that's, that's not a good thing, my friend. Apathy is not a good game to play with God. It's not a good game to play with the Lord. And you realize that this kind of hard attitude is just as wrong as the hard attitude of those who are out in the world living it up in pagan idolatry and sinful debauchery. It's a horrible attitude to have. You know, this attitude of I'm not gonna listen. I don't really care. I'm not gonna change. I'm just here and that's fine for me, okay? That kind of an attitude destroyed the northern and southern kingdom of the Israelites it got them all hauled off to brutal foreign lands as horrible captives because of God's judgment. And believe me, it's harsh to say, but there will be a judgment of this kind of heart attitude that says, I'm not really listening to the, you, Lord. I'm really not into this relationship thing. How can I say that? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name. And Jesus will declare to them. I mean, they sounded right. They were in the right spots. They are in the right places. But Jesus will declare to them, hey, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Their heart wasn't in it. There's no relationship there. They're just going through them, just being in the right spot, trying to do the right things, right? Listen, don't display this kind of attitude. Do care, because God cares for you. 
Repent, listen to the Lord. God's speaking, he's moving. Turn to him and live your life in him. Let him change you from the inside out and be a true disciple of Christ, taking up your cross and following him, Matthew 16, 24. John 4, 24 records, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Gang, we are to love God with everything. Mark 12, 30, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Do care. Follow hard after the Lord. Follow him passionately and fervently, right? The second attitude we, we, we see from the people of Judah during Manasseh's reign is one that I really want to focus on because I think there are a lot more that display this kind of an attitude, and that's the attitude of the spiritually familiar. The spiritually familiar. You know, this attitude is found after the king has repented and turned back to God. He's restoring godly worship back to the land. That was revival, right? And we like revival. And we find the attitude that I want to illustrate in verse 17. So the king also restored the altar of the Lord, offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings, thanksgiving, commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, boom, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Did you see that? Now, this is one of those verses where, especially if you're reading in Chronicles in the Old Testament, you might read over really, really quick and and its significance, you, you kind of miss. You don't really stop to think about it. The, sti- the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. What does that mean? I mean, that sounds good, right? I mean, they're worshiping the Lord. They're, they're worshiping God, right? They're sacrificing to the Lord. That sounds okay. It isn't until you define what the, the high places mean. The high places had been centers for idol worship. They were little sanctuaries on the hills where people would would go up and worship an idol and sacrifice to an idol. And get this, now they worship the Lord and they sacrifice to the Lord, but they did it and they worshiped him in the former places of idolatry. So, So what does that mean? They were trying to worship God in the previous places where they worshiped an idol. And, and, and sometimes if we really think about that context, we're like, whoa, that's really crazy. Because here's the thing. These people had been worshiping these idols and sacrificing in these high places for decades, for a long time, nearly like 50 years, half a century. Worshiping in the high places was ingrained in them. It was something that was very familiar to them. So what does it say in regards to these Israelites worshiping in these high places for nearly half a century where these places was ingrained in them? It means it was very familiar to them. This kind of worship was very familiar to them. So you see, they worship God in a familiar place, the former places of idolatry. They were worshiping God the wrong way. You see, especially in the Old Testament, God had told them, you know, to make sacrifice and worship him only in certain places. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, the law of God. They knew that. But these people wanted to mix 
their pagan beliefs, their ideas, their philosophy of worship into their worship of the Lord. The King Manasseh was trying to bring about reform and revival and the people were almost there, but they, they, they wanted to stay with what was familiar to them. They didn't want to let go of their familiarity. They didn't want to let that go at all. And remember what I said earlier, that there seems to be an inherent security, right? With, with, with what we know, with what's familiar to us, right? And so imagine this people for, for nearly 50 years, they've been worshiping in these high places and, and, and the king who for decades had been the leader of B-A-double-D, okay? He's now telling the people to destroy everything that was familiar to them, tear down the high places, tear down the altars, tear down, and to embrace the Lord God Almighty and to trust him. Yet the people just couldn't seem to let go of what was familiar to them. They're like, we, we, we will only go so far. Oh, okay, we will worship the Lord, but on our own terms, and we will worship the Lord on our own turf. We will worship the Lord the way we want to. That was their hard attitude. We will worship the Lord how we like to. We will worship the Lord in a way that's familiar to us. We will only listen to the word of the Lord that we find familiar, the part of his word that we like. And I asked this morning, has that attitude Really changed that much now in the year of our Lord, 2023? Do we still see that kind of attitude in church and in the lives of believers today? Yes, yes, and a triple yes, especially with the word of the Lord. The truth is, sometimes, guys, we want to worship and serve the Lord, but we want to do it and still retain our familiar ways. We want to worship and serve the Lord in a way that's familiar to us and it's safe to us, okay? And here's what I mean by this. We want to dictate to the Lord how we'll serve him, how we'll worship him. We want to dictate that we will worship the Lord, you know, but, but in a way that, that we like, that's familiar to us, that's safe to us. God, don't ask us to do anything different. Don't call us out of our safe boxes, God. Lord, don't call me out of my little zone that I've set up that's nice and I've, and I've, I've built it in, for years. I've built this nice little safe area and I've been very fine serving you right here. Don't ask, ask for more, Lord. This is familiar. That's not. And a lot of times believers will only go so far because we like it here and we like it like this because it's familiar and we like familiar. And we feel secure and familiar. The familiar, like I said, is our safe place. And that's one of the main reasons why there's a lot of people that just don't serve or they don't give or they don't minister because I'm not sure about that. If I step out of this, then I, I, I don't know. I feel better here because I've built up these walls of protection and safety and it's secure and I love it and I, and I understand and I can come in and come out. But God, you're calling me out to this? Whoa. Whoa, Lord. That's radical. <laughs> That's crazy. I like it not. No, no, no. Listen, God is calling us all out of our safe places, gang. We realize that, right? Right? Like the, like the day of uh, Manasseh, 
God wants us to destroy the familiar places. And God wants us to take us out of our familiar places. What we normally do, what we're comfortable doing, this place of spiritual ease and comfort. We can learn a lot, you know, from the heart of what God was telling his people, the prophet Amos in Amos 6.1 in the Old Testament. Woe to those who are at ease and to those who feel secure. It's pretty tough. Listen, God cares more about your character than he does about your comfort and your spiritual ease. You see, God designed this Christian walk and this Christian journey to be anything but familiar and ordinary, right? And that's another reason why we need to, like I said last week, to stir each other up to love and good works. Because this is what sometimes happens, and I've seen it too many times. A believer, when a believer first comes to the Lord, you know, they're, they're excited, and, and they're, they're bursting at the seams, so full of rapturous joy. God has saved me. I'm a new person. I've found hope. I've got new life. And it's exciting, and it's fresh, and it's wonderful. But then day after day goes by, and perhaps year after year, maybe decade after decade goes by, and then just like the people of Judah, the spiritual disease of kind of sameness infects them. And then things like church and walking with the Lord and worship and serving him and giving just becomes kind of this familiar routine and then we, we love our little, you know, we're in our little rowboat and we're rowing down the, the, the river of familiar routine, okay? Oh, they worship God, right? But like the people of Manasseh's day, they worship in the places of familiarity. And we'll say, what, serve in that ministry? I don't think so because I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, helping the children's or student ministries, you know? I'm an adult, Greg, and I need to be fed spiritually, okay? Give 10% of my income as a tithe, how will I ever be able to live? I'm not familiar with that. Give more than what I'm doing, your tithes and offerings? What? I'm not sure about that. Start to give it all? No way. You know, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Support a missionary? Why? Go on a mission trip? You know, I'm, I'm not familiar with that, and I don't want to be uncomfortable. That was just me not long ago with our Ecuador trip. I was very familiar, comfortable with good old, I told you, good old USA, you know. Thank you, Lord. He called me out. It was awesome, all right. Get radical for Christ at work. Greg, you're asking too much. I just like to go with the flow. Inviting someone to come to church, that frightens me, Greg. Give that aspect of my life up for Jesus Christ. Surrender that to him. No way, Jose. Poor Jose gets nothing, right? So, Sorry, guy. Do something different in my growth in Christ? No, I'll just stay where it's safe and familiar. Grow in a spiritual discipline that's lacking in my life? I don't like discipline. Fast from food or something else? You gotta be kidding me. I like food, right? Participate in ministries other than Sunday morning worship? You're pushing the limits. Get baptized in water in front of everybody? That's, that's too much commitment. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and live in a spirit-empowered life. Well, Greg, that, that sounds unfamiliar to me. I, I, I want to call the shots. I want to be in control. 
Get excited that a person who's lost and their life is disheveled and in ruins and they're looking for hope and they walk through the church doors. Well, I don't like that, Greg. They're, they're not part of us. They don't look like us. They're dirty. They're filthy. They're unclean. They're unrighteous. Love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Does, does it have to be the whole thing? Can I keep a little bit to myself? Destroy the idols in my life. Tear down the high places of familiarity in my life. Wait a minute. Greg, you, you crossed the line. Because, Greg, I like familiar. My house has looked the same for 20 years. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Familiar is my safe place. I've had the same spiritual routine for decades. I like knowing. I like it safe. I like my seat, Greg. Guess what these kinds of attitudes and statements say? God, I'm comfortable doing my own thing, serving you in a way that I deem is safe, in ways that I know and in ways that I can control. I like my serving and worship be like the rest of my life and familiar. So God, I'm only gonna go so far in my relationship with you because I don't like the unknown of stepping out in faith. And gang, sadly, if, if we're not careful, we can easily become, and, and, and Joe Quintanilla used it Friday night at the men's bonfire. We were talking and and he used a couple words that I loved, and he said, if we're if not careful, we can easily become pew warmers, church players, okay? You see, the, the people of Manasseh's reign never really bought in. They only went so far. They didn't destroy the high places of familiar. And the danger is this, if not careful, even the familiar can be an idol in our lives. And God doesn't want idolatry in our hearts or our lives. But even the familiar can be an idol because it keeps us from worshiping with our whole hearts, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that's what the Father's looking for. We see that in John 4.23. The familiar in our spiritual walk can be an idol because it can stint our growth in the Lord. It can keep us from growing fully in the Lord. It can keep us from stepping out in faith and pursuing the visions that God places in our heart and places in our lives. And we just covered that in the book of Nehemiah. Be careful. Because if, if we're not watching out, familiarity might just become a religious attitude. And I've seen that happen and religion, self-righteousness, and even tradition can be idols that lurk in the backgrounds of our hearts and then rears their ugly faces when our familiarity is threatened. Because religion and tradition, those things are familiar to us. Oh, I like church just like this, you know. Or I don't think we should, you know, it's familiar things. But then when God calls us to more, man, that it can lurk and say, no, stop, okay? But just like we read in our text regarding the day and revival of Manasseh, God is calling us to leave the familiar and truly following him with all of our heart. God's telling us to break out of our familiarity and the familiar places of our heart and worship him in full spirit and full truth and follow him wherever he may lead. And to love him and serve him with everything, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. Leave the familiar places of the heart and worship God wholeheartedly 
And there's a reason why verse 17 is included in the Bible. The, the, the writer who's writing and recording these historical facts could have simply recorded that the people began to worship and sacrifice the Lord. Yes, revival's in the land. The king is, is restored. The king is restoring worship of the Lord and everybody's bought in and everybody's worshiping God and sacrificing to the Lord. But the writer included they continued to sacrifice at the high places. Basically saying it was half-hearted devotion to the Lord. Half-hearted devotion. If the musicians want to come up. And what's being shown here is the people kind of wanted it both ways. Yeah, we'll worship with the Lord, but we like our familiarity too. And God says, no, no. <laughs> No, God says, with me, it's all or nothing. It's what God says to us, gang. He wants our whole heart. He wants all of us. Not a portion, not half, not a quarter, not 33%, not 98.72553478.9%. He wants 100% all of us. Back in the day, I had the lead of the musical Oklahoma. And I remember a song, if you're familiar with that musical, there's a character by the name of Ado Annie who loved Will the Cowboy. And if she couldn't have all of him, then she would have none of her. He would have none of her, okay? Uh, and she sang the song with me, It's All or Nothing. That took place in my life, you know? Megan, we were kind of dating, you know? And I like to tell this story. She was pursuing me really hard. And I mean, she was, I can, she just blowing up my phone every night and day, sending me messages. And I was over here playing around a la la land, not committing to her, you know. And she sent me an email, an AOL. Remember those AOL? You know, You've got mail, okay. I clicked it on and AOL told me I had mail and it was an email from her. And she said, look, she basically said, it's all or nothing, dude. You know what I mean? That was, I mean, that. It was a little longer than that, okay? Uh, a little longer, but that was the essence of it. And I was like, whoa, I've never had a girl say that to me before. And I was madly in love with her, and the rest is history, praise the Lord. But that's, God, that's what God wants from us, gang. All or nothing. She, Megan didn't want me playing around. She didn't have time for that mess. She didn't want me out here, you know, just dating her, you know, kissing friends. I think that's what you said, yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't want to just be kissing friends or something like that. She's like, either you get serious with me, pal, or we're, you know, we're out of here, you know. And I was wise. I was very smart, everyone, you know. I heard the Lord say, buddy, if you don't, no, just kidding. But God doesn't, he, he wants all of us. He doesn't want, want us playing around. and he, he wants us all, gang. God doesn't want half-hearted devotion. And he doesn't want us to be like, God, yeah, I, I, Here's my heart, God, and I'm going to live for you, but only in the way I, I dictate, only the way I like, Lord. I, I'm, I don't like that, and I'm not comfortable with that, you're, you're, what you're calling me to, so I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to there. You got your word and stuff, and I don't know. No, I'm, this is what I like. This is the familiar part to me. Can, can't you come to my side, God? Can't you come here? Why are you calling me to leave this? This is my safe. This is my comfort. Why? No, and God's like, come on. 
That's the radical call of the disciple. And sometimes it is scary. And so, because faith is walking in the unknown with God, but we hold, he's holding our hands and he's leading us and he's guiding us. And he's promised to be with us forever. And that leads to the third final attitude we find in our text as I close this. We're going to take communion. We see it in, in the king. It's repentance and revival. Repentance and revival. Repentance and revival. Two words that really scare a lot of believers. <laughs> Second Chronicles 33, 12 through 13. says that when the king was in distress, this is when he was in bondage, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem in his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. I love that. Embracing the Lord, repenting, and then allowing the Lord to move in his life and change him. That's our call. That's our call, to embrace the Lord, to repent, gang. To allow the Lord to move afresh and new in our lives, letting the Spirit of God flow through us and change our hearts and change us to be more like Jesus and less like the world. We need revival. A revival of us turning to the Lord with our whole heart and our whole mind and our whole soul and loving Him with all of us, everything we've got. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment of all. He gave all of himself for us on the cross. That's where our hope lies. That's where our peace lies. That's where our life is. Look, the Old Testament points to what Christ did. It points to Jesus. The New Testament testifies it. And now we are going to live it for all eternity. What Jesus Christ has done for us, praise the Lord. So the call for us is to give all of ourselves and not hide in the places of familiarity where we think we're secure. Because when you do this, when we do this, the familiar is robbing us of an exciting life of faith. And it's taking away from God the true worship that he deserves. So I ask before we take communion, what is the familiar that you need to tear down? What, 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 is there some familiar aspects that, that's holding you back from, from really jumping in wholeheartedly to the Lord? What's the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart? What's he saying to you right now? What area or safe place do you need to leave behind and by faith draw even closer to the Lord? Because I promise your spiritual growth in the Lord will be accelerated because you're leaving your familiar, you're leaving that safety bubble and saying, God, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. And, and please don't have the attitude of, well, I just don't care about it. Don't have that attitude. Run headlong into the arms of the Lord. And let him change you. Let him change you. Have the attitude where you say, God, it's not about me or my comfort. It's not about what I'm familiar with. It's all about your calling and your mission in my life. And, and, and I want my life to be all about you, Jesus. 
Every part of my life I want you to be, I want to be about you, Jesus. You know, as I've been thinking, and man, for me personally, the, the familiarity of, of busyness is what I need to really tear down. Man, I'm a minister, a minister of the gospel of God. You know what I mean? But yet, I can find a lot of ease and kind of, in just the busyness of ministry, doing these things, and I get familiar with that, and I get familiar with, well, if I don't do all these things, then this isn't going to get done, and this isn't going to happen, and I like, me personally, I'm just being transparent with you, God's saying, hey, slow the roll, (laughs) Take some time. But I'm like, Lord, if I do that, then this and this and this and this and this and this. And that has become my familiarity and I'm convicted by it. So I know what the Lord is hitting here. What about you this morning? We're going to take communion. And if those are going to serve, if they'll come and take their place to serve this morning... I just want them to continue playing in the background like that and we'll close with a song. But as you get in line to come and receive these elements that are symbolic of what Christ has done for us and the grace and love that he's shown us, dude, you were a bad person. You were horrible. But then God intervened, amen? Same with all of us. That's our testimony. And God restored us gave us life but maybe as you're in line you need to repent maybe the Lord's brought up something to you that's holding you from really jumping in and really serving him with your heart maybe some familiarity or some safe areas eked into your spiritual life and you say Lord I I, want to tear that down I, I I want you to have my whole heart let's do that today and then when you get back to your seat continue to meditate and think about Christ what he's done, what's represented in the juice and the bread, his body, his blood. And let's seek God. And, and if you have never given your heart to the Lord, man, before you take of his body and blood, symbolically give your heart to Jesus. Make him your Savior. Make him your Lord right now. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Paul writes in the book of Romans that you'd be saved. You say, Lord, I just want to live for you. Forgive me, God. I've had the attitude that I don't care. I've pushed you away. I've rejected you. Jesus, I come to you. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of of, of being silly. I want to take you serious, Lord, and I want to live for you. I want to be your disciple, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me. You pray a prayer like that, my friend, you'll be in the body of Christ. He did it for you. Will you do it for him? Come on, let's come get our elements this morning. And if you'll take them back to your seat, I'll read the scriptures and we'll take communion together. But while you're doing it, it's not just tradition. Don't let this be, well, it's a familiar thing. We're going, no, no, listen, make this. Dude, Jesus is here. Right now. So waiting for us to come to him. 
Run to Jesus this morning. Run to Jesus today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is here. He's reaching out to all of us today. All of us right now. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we just think on you right now. We meditate on you. Your sacrifice. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, let us hear what you're saying. God, let us leave those places that we find safe and but that might be holding us back from really growing in you and living for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that when the when the Father Father's plan was ready to be put in place. You didn't object. You didn't say, well, I'm familiar here in my throne. I'm familiar here in glory. And I I don't want to go down and give my life. Thank you, Jesus. You willingly came to earth and took on flesh and gave your heart, your life on the cross. Was raised from the dead so that when we come to you, We put on your righteousness. We're not righteous in ourselves. When the Father looks at us, he sees you in us, and we are counted as righteous. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for caring for us that much that you died so we could have life. Jesus, help us, God. Help us, Lord, in our need. Help us, Lord, in our want. Fill our souls with you, I pray. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 records that as Jesus and the disciples were eating, 
Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice right now. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Gang, all that it took was one drop to make you clean. One drop to wash your sins away. One drop for freedom. One drop for life eternal. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us hope, giving us peace, and giving us your strength. Lord, help us to take up the cross, our cross daily, and to follow you wherever you may lead us with our whole heart, our whole mind, and all of our strength holding nothing back, Lord, looking for that day when we'll stand with you in glory and we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. Hallelujah. God, bless your people this morning. Bless families. Bless marriages. Bless the men, the women. Bless our students, Lord, our children, God. Minister to our hearts, I pray, Lord. Fill our souls with your presence and your spirit, God. Satisfy us with you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.